As we embark on our journey into the realm of K-12 education, we come across a timeless and crucial question. Which is more important, teaching subject matter or fostering skills? This enduring query has been at the center of discussion for generations, striking at the core of our philosophy. On the one hand, there is the approach of imparting knowledge, which involves filling minds with facts, figures, historical events, mathematical equations, and a vast wealth of understanding. It entails enriching our students' mental resources with the wisdom meticulously accumulated over centuries. However, does this suffice? Is it enough in an evolving world? Then on the other hand, there is the argument that prioritizes teaching skills as the foundation of a well-rounded education. What value does memory hold if one lacks critical analysis abilities, effective communication skills, creative thinking capabilities, and adaptability to a changing landscape? Should we focus on equipping our students with life skills that will empower them to thrive in the world? These age-old inquiries hold a sense of urgency and relevance in today's era. Our surroundings are progressing at a rate due to advancements and transformative changes that fundamentally reshape who we are. In this age of information overload, how can we strike a balance between gaining knowledge and honing our skills? It's a thought-provoking question that requires self-reflection from each and every one of us. Welcome to episode 159 of the Teacher Rockstar podcast, a place where tips and strategies critical to the new teacher are discussed. We share the latest educational research and best practices so that the new teacher can be better equipped for a successful classroom experience. I'm your host, Steve Hiles. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing skills versus content with Dr. Bill Copeland. But before we get into today's topic, I would like to ask you a question. Are you a brand new teacher? that just graduated college, would you be interested in having somebody to mentor and guide you as you transition from college into the classroom? Well, if so, simply go to teacherclassroomresources.com forward slash TRA mentorship to learn more about the program. And now I'd like to take a moment to share a little bit about today's special guest. Bill Copeland is founder and professor of the highly successful undergraduate policy studies major at Syracuse University, which has more than 200 majors annually. He is the Laura J. and L. Douglas Meredith Professor for Teaching Excellence at the Maxwell School and College of Arts and Sciences at Syracuse University, an author of 110 books and articles, many of which are in education. He has taught and advised tens of thousands of undergraduates over his 50-plus years of teaching. He has also trained more than 1,000 high school teachers, 100-plus of which offer his freshman course in high school. Bill Copeland's mission is to equip students with the practical skills they need to have career success while leaving society better than they found it. His Skills Win program seeks to improve education throughout the United States. Copeland's mantra, skills to do well and do good, has motivated generations of Syracuse University alumni to tackle 21st century challenges. Welcome to the show, Bill. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. Would you like to take just a moment to share your journey in education with our audience? Okay. After I graduated high school, I went to Washington College in Chestertown, Maryland, a small college. And I eventually transferred to Hopkins, 
But when I went to college, I was shocked by the fact that I was told I was going to go to college to get the skills and ability and knowledge to get a good job. Mm -hmm. When I got in class, I was being taught about Chaucer or chemical formulas, all of which were abstract and scholarly. And I was shocked by this, and I'm still shocked by it. And my entire life since then has been to do something about what I call the bait and switch model, where you're told to go to college to get a career, but when you're in college, they want to make a scholar. I transferred to Johns Hopkins. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wound up trying to get in the Foreign Service, then I went to a master's program. And then when I was at the master's program, I, uh, I was very interested in international relations research, but I was also asked to teach. Second year, as a graduate student, I was teaching two introductory courses. And for the next three years, while I was writing my PhD, I taught courses both at American and Howard. So I found out I really loved teaching. Mm -hmm. And then when I graduated, I got a job at Wayne State, did very well teaching, but also published a lot. And then I eventually came to Syracuse University to take over the international relations program and to teach basically freshmen. Mm -hmm. So that started me on my journey. I was conflicted between publish or perish, which you have to do to get tenure, which I did, or teaching, because the two are rather reinforce each other. If you do too much research, you don't teach well. So I slowly dropped a lot of the research after I became a full professor, and then devoted my, my uh, activities to starting a major that would meet the need I didn't get when I went to college, which was to prepare for, have the professional skills to be successful in whatever career I pursued. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. I'd like to ask you, uh, Bill, what, why are new teachers overwhelmed with the question of what to teach? Well, because the traditional curriculum has been very, it's really scholarly liberal arts based for the most part. I mean, there are vocational programs. Every year, more knowledge, more content is added. And then you have the state intervening, adding more content, yeah. but also requiring skills and citizenship on top of all the content. So um, they're told what to teach, and they're not given much choice. The material, there's just too much. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a mile wide and an inch deep. And so they, they've got to follow the rules. But at the same time, they're interacting with their students who are saying, why do I have to learn this? Mm -hmm. And then they have to say, well, well, it's good for you, which is not a good answer. Uh, and they themselves, many teachers I talk to, are concerned about the irrelevance of the curriculum for the needs of the students, especially are students that don't come from middle and upper class families. Right, right. Well, what do you feel is the most important goal then that teachers should pursue when deciding what to teach? I think they should start with the student first, not with the curriculum, 
and say, what does my student need? And then how can I adapt these re curriculum requirements to meet their needs? Mm -hmm. And of course, the most important step is scaffolding, which you've started at a very basic level. And then you move up for those students who can move up. And for those students who can't or have difficulty, you have to coach them. Basically, listen to the students rather than to the elites that have been running the education system that have other goals than really helping the students. Absolutely. You know, that would be a, uh, a major paradigm shift in the way yeah, we run right. the education business today, wouldn't it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. One, one, one administrator said to me, it's never about the students. Oh, man. Never about the students. Mm -hmm. and I, I mean, that's a very negative view, but I do think there's so many pressures put on teachers. Mm -hmm. and the needs of the students are lost. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bill, you know, can you speak to why are teachers faced with the tensions between teaching skills versus the content? Well, one of the reasons is their preparation usually requires a liberal arts major. Mm -hmm. So if they want to do social studies, they major in history, let's say. They used to. Now it's different. Or science. So they, they get a training in the specific subject. And because they are sort of scholarly oriented and very intellectually stimulated, mm -hmm. they like the subject, like history. And then when they graduate, they want students to love the history they love. But that's not starting with the students. See, that's starting with them. Right. And they're in a conflicted situation right off the bat because they, they can't teach the kind of history they would love to teach because they have to start with the, the scaffolding and take it down. So for, I don't know, I'll give you a slight example. Like I once said to a history professor, well, if I was teaching history, I would start with a current problem like poverty in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And then I would teach, I would go back and say, look at, look at how poverty has been dealt with for the last four or 500 years. And he said to me, that's not teaching history. You're teaching something else. Well, what was his reason for that? Uh, because he wants to make little historians out of everybody. Okay. I mean, in college professors, that's where it's really bad. But even teachers who love the subject want the students to love the subject. But the students aren't inclined to love the subject. But they need to learn the basic history that would be relevant to them. So it's it starts from the liberal arts program that has always played a big role in education. And then the the people who sort of set the standards for education have tended to be liberal arts people who are trying to make really K through 12 pre-college. Mm -hmm. And we know that less than 40% of the students go to college. It's probably around 35% you know, or graduate from college. Let's put yeah. it that way. Right. And yet they still want those students to take a college curriculum, which is mostly about content and knowledge and not about application. I, I, I make the distinction between knowledge and know-how. We need, we need to help students develop know-how. Exactly. You know? yeah. 
and not knowledge per se, although everybody thinks it's powerful, is not powerful. Finding knowledge and using knowledge is powerful. So the way I've set my courses up, I give kids concepts and they have to go get the knowledge. So they say, okay, the murder rate's too high. I got I to gotta come up with a policy. What, what do I have to do? Well, I better go study and see what other people have done. So that the knowledge they seek is based on the purpose they're trying to achieve, not on knowledge for its own sake. Right. Right. Which is which is the way scholars are. It's a conflict thing. Are we trying to make scholars or are we trying to make citizens? Is this about the life of the mind or is this about life? Right. And I think most people would say it's about life. But the teachers are put in a situation where they have to pursue these scholarly goals. Yeah. You know, and, and the next thing I really wanted to ask you about. You know, I'm a firm believer and advocate of project-based learning, and this kind of leads me into the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. Well, why is project-based and problem-solving learning so important? And I think you kind of touched on it. Uh, can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, in, in addition to giving students lots of different skills, it puts them in a social situation where they have to achieve something through teams trains students in communications, in problem solving, and in influencing people, and in getting along with people. It's really a way to do the whole gamut of skills that are necessary to operate in the real world. This is project-based learning. And problem solving, I think human beings are natural problem solvers. Mm -hmm. They want to solve a problem. And by putting it in a problem solving context, you're appealing to their innate interests and exciting them. The major I created in the Maxwell School is proof of this because my students are outstanding and they love to do things to help the community, um, to help each other. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think it's very, very important. If you don't do project-based management, what do you do? You give information, you have them read books, and you give them tests. I call that the trinity. Yeah. Vegetation. It doesn't work. It does not work. It works with the few kids that are really scholarly. Mm -hmm. Other kids achieve because they're grade grubbers. They want an A. So they'll do whatever you tell them to do. You have control over them with grades, but you can force them to do this, but they don't want to do it. So studies have shown that students are not engaged. And for college students who are supposed to spend two hours outside of class for every hour in class, they spend 15 minutes outside of class for every hour in class, and then they cram for the exam. That is not education. That's ridiculous. Right. And it's because the evolution of education comes from religion, it went into the monasteries, then it got secularized, and the elites went to it. Well, they could put up with all that. We're in a different world now. We don't. We don't have. It's not the medieval times, but the Trinity is is the way it was taught in the medieval times. Yeah, you know, I think it's so important to try to develop critical thinkers and problem solvers in our children today, and that's why I'm kind of a, a big fan of project based learning and problem solving skills. You know, that's no, great. I totally agree with you. You're yeah. absolutely right. I have to ask you, Bill, how would you suggest teachers put skills-based exercises in their class? 
you know, active regardless of the content. Okay, good question. Yeah, I think that would be really helpful for the new teachers. And So the, fir- the first thing I want to do is come up with a negative, which is do not create courses. Do not create curriculum to teach these skills. Teach the skills in whatever you're already teaching. And so I've created 50 exercises as well as lesson plans mm-hmm. um, where if you're teaching history or science or whatever, uh, you you add an exercise in communications or an exercise uh, in problem solving. And the exercises, well, I'll take you the most basic is typing. Students are going into high school with no training in typing and they're using their, their finger like they were doing an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, typing's not taught. So what I recommend is your whatever class you're teaching, especially in social studies or in, lit, or in the humanities, uh, where you have to write papers, you run a typing competition at the beginning of class. It takes five minutes. Uh-huh. Put the kids in groups. You have the kids competing for the best group, and the best group gets a pizza or whatever yeah. prize you want to use because you got to use competition to get them engaged. And we've done this in schools. And it's amazing that kids will average 15 words a minute at the beginning, and then by the end, they're up to 40. And some are even higher. And not only that, they're proud of it. The other point about it is all these exercises, you actually do something. And then when you do something, you feel you've achieved something. Uh And it doesn't have to do with getting an A on the test. It has to do with winning the competition or learning how to manage time or learning how to do an interview. And, you know, you could do a mock interview with like George Washington was the higher secretary of state. If you want to do the history thing, mm-hmm. you can adapt it. So we create these exercises and we're getting teachers to put them in their, in their classes. And also I have students at Syracuse university who are trained in these exercises and they go into the school and they, they will teach us six six sessions over a six-week period and give a certificate at the end and a prize, those students have been extremely positive. The kids say they've learned a lot, and actually Mm -hmm. they prefer my kids to come in than the teacher. The teacher's happy because the teacher, if you're, you know, would like the kids to type better or Mm -hmm. like the kids to do manage their time better. So they turn their papers in. So you, you integrate the skills with the content, and I, we've designed it so they don't even take a full period. They could take 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and you know it's very clear how to do it. It gives you step-by-step ways to do it. Mm-hmm. I think courses are too much. Like my example is somebody will say, well, we need to teach ethics. We need kids to have ethics. Oh, okay. So what's the next step? Well, you need a course in ethics. Well, no, you don't need a course in ethics. A course in ethics, what, are you going to make them read 200 pages, 300 pages? You're going to give them lectures, and then you're going to give them a test, and now they know what ethics is and they're ethical? I don't think so. (laughs) Here's my sort of way of thinking about it. It's a gymnasium. It's a gymnasium where the kids practice these skills. Can we prove they learn them? No, we can't prove they learn them. But what we can do is they can say to us, I'm really glad I can type faster. I'm really glad I know how to introduce myself to a stranger. And then the outcome 
we don't know in 30 years. So you can't measure this. Yeah. But yeah. I believe like physical training, you know, you go and you go and your your trainer says, okay, lift these weights. And you lift the weights or you do the exercises and then you don't fall down when you walk. Um, <laughs> so it's the same, it's the same principle of skills through practice. Put it in the content, but detach it from the grading and the content. Mm -hmm. It's sort of another way of having a break uh, for the kids. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, where can one go to find these lessons that you you just talked about that you you all developed? Well, if they email me at wdcopeland at syr.edu, uh -huh. go to my website, Bill Copeland, and that's C-O-P-L-I-N dot com. You'll see some of this. Uh -huh. I will send you stuff and I'll talk to you. This is my life goal is All right. to change education. And the thing is, with the emphasis on careers uh -huh. and huge problems we're having in schools, especially in those in disadvantaged areas, something's got to be done. And you can't write new curriculum and have have the government come up with new requirements. Just get the kids to practice these skills. Yeah. Uh, and I'm hoping teachers will see this as not a heavy lift, but an easy lift, and will be able to um, try them out. Okay. And if teachers want to go to get your 10 skill sets for success, all they have to do is go to BillCopeland.com to get these. Is that correct? Yes. If they can't find what they want, they should email me. I will take care of them. All right. Wonderful. Well, uh, Bill, let me ask you something. You know, what would be your biggest takeaway that you'd like to share with our audience? Now, you've got a slew of new teachers out there. What, what, would you, what would your biggest takeaway be? My biggest takeaway is do what you need to do to get tenure and don't let it interfere too much with your need to help your students. Mm -hmm. And what I'm really saying is invent your own self and your goal and don't worry about all the regulations as long as you don't get yourself in trouble. Yeah, I don't know. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because when I talk to teachers, they'll tell me what they do. And it doesn't have to do with how they meet the curriculum goals. Well, they will march through that and make sure they get tenure. But then they'll do what they really want to do, mm -hmm. which is to help kids. Absolutely. That's the point. Help kids. Okay. The other thing, how can folks connect with you, Bill, if they want to reach out? I know you... I know you well, got a, a book out too. And uh, yeah, the, the basic book about skills is called 10 Things Employers Want You to Learn in College. Uh -huh. It's a revised edition. Even though it's college, it's relevant to high school. And then I've adapted that in these exercises and other materials uh -huh. that can be used. And we're, we're developing a website that will be called Skills Win, and it will be available to teachers on subscription basis in about six months. Okay. Time I will share what we're doing with teachers who contact me so they can help me actually develop our subscription-based uh, website so it meets their needs. And we're working with lots of teachers in different places. So oh. they should email me. I answer my emails all the time and I will follow up and help whoever is interested. Okay. Thank you so much. 
Well, Bill, I, I, again, I, I want to thank you uh, for taking the time to share your expertise with us today. And I really look forward to having you back on the show again at some point down the road. Uh, I want you to, you know, please take care and have an awesome day. Thanks again. Well, thank you, Steve. You did a great. I really appreciate this conversation. You, oh, you made uh, say what I wanted to say. All right. Well, I appreciate it as well. Thank you, sir. Well, my friend, we have come to the end of today's episode. Now I have some important news for you. First and foremost, if you enjoy our podcast and want to stay connected with us, there are now even more ways to do so. You can find us on several popular podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Chrome, iHeartRadio, and a host of other platforms. But that's not all. We know many of you enjoy more than just the audio experience. For additional videos, behind-the-scenes content, and to connect with me and the rest of our community, make sure to follow us on YouTube. You can find us by typing at Teacher Rockstar in the search bar. Hit that subscribe button and join in on the fun. I want to thank you for listening to the Teacher Rockstar podcast. I'm your host, Steve Hiles. And by way of reminder, you can reach out to Dr. Copeland by emailing wdcopeland at syr.edu or through billcopeland.com. All right. Uh, When you get a moment, please visit our website and subscribe to my newsletter for the latest educational research, best practices, and our monthly freebie. Go to TeacherClassroomResources.com to sign up. And don't forget to subscribe to us at the Teacher Rockstar Podcast. And if you'd like to support us, please feel free to share our podcast with others. Post about it on social media and leave a rating and review. That would be greatly appreciated as always. Thanks again. We'll see you same time, same place next week. And remember, my friend, you got this. The Teacher Rockstar Podcast with your host, Steve Hiles. We hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as we have. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and join our growing community of teacher rock stars. Until then, thanks for listening.